Man up, they say. This week, we explore men's mental health with Evan Morgan. Content warning. This episode, we discuss abuse, sexual abuse, and amongst many topics. Viewer listening is advised. So, first things first, I wanted to start off with welcoming you to my safe space. I wanted to start this in like a cheesy way, but I decided not to and I decided to just jump into it. So, like I mentioned to you, we are going to be exploring men's mental health. So, what is one stereotype that you wish didn't exist amongst men's mental health? Uh, so, I made a little list like of the talking points we mentioned. And, ah, oh man, <laughs> picking one to start, not that any are more important than not. Uh, I want to say... The one that most affects me is probably people just assuming where we haven't been through similar situations. Like, the particular instance I have, I guess, potential trigger warning is like abuse situations where uh, a lot of people, you know, and, and a lot of it's in, on the internet. It's not even people in real life who do it, but I mean, the internet's almost blended into life at this point. Just think men have kind of grown up like good parents, good mom, good dad, nothing inappropriate happened to them and kids, you know, maybe a little bullying here and there. But other than that, we just grew up feeling safe and comfortable in our homes and lives at all times. And I think for most of us, that's just not the case at all. Right. Right, definitely. And I think that most of the times we end up shutting out that part of us, especially with trauma responses. We tend to be quiet about them and not speak up until maybe years later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So like me, for example, I've been decently open about this. Like I grew up in a pretty rugged Mexican and black family so uh, I mean you're Hispanic you know there's like that machismo to men of like suck it up kind of uh, you know lots of lots of cousins that my cousins helped raise me a lot and then our older cousins helped raise them so there there wasn't very many like healthy adult figures there's just toxic parents raising toxic parents raising toxic parents pretty much right yeah And especially growing up in a Latino household, it's always been tough because you're also taught to... Those gender roles are always enforced more than anything in this world. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, So, like, I'd say I I, I definitely got abused as a child, especially, you know, um, physically. My cousins were just too rough with me, and the family would laugh it off as... uh, they're just, you know, teaching them to be a man kind of thing. And then one thing uh, men also go through a lot and just so rarely talk about is, like, being sexually abused at a young age, whether it's, like, exposed mm-hmm. to things too young, like, actually being, like, molested or um, 
being being shown, you know, when you're seven years old, my cousins would tell me like, this is how this works with the girl and like show me videos and stuff. So, I mean, from age six, I knew what sex was and um, like was thinking about it all the time. Like my curiosity was already on like finding a girlfriend in this because I got exposed to everything just way too young, like seeing naked people, touching naked people, things like that. So, like, from and that's something guys just don't talk about. Like, I've gotten bits and pieces from my closest friends I've known for 10-plus years, but none of us have ever just flat-out said, this is what happened when I was a kid. And I don't think we'll ever get to that point, honestly. Yeah, especially because we're taught to swallow that pill without any water, per se, and just, like, man up suck it up like just take it like a man if you will and yeah and i mean i i'm it's also one of the most disgusting things that i always see is like taking a boy's virginity like a prize yeah i think so too especially uh just being young like you know middle or high school age i think that is just too young to be focused. I don't know. It feels like I wasn't allowed to be a kid, pretty much. Right. And um, another thing uh, hearing a lot is, well, they had it worse than you. So, like, I get uh, sexually abused one time and kind of heard, uh, not from my parents directly, but something you hear from people is, well, I had it worse. It happened to me five times or... Well, at least you weren't full on this happened to you. And it's like, they're both equally traumatizing to the person, whatever right. it is. You know, a, a child going through that is a child going through that. It definitely changes their brain for the rest of their lives. So I, there is no, at least this didn't happen because this still happened. Right. And I mean, it's always tough when you're trying your hardest to shield somebody especially when you have younger siblings i don't know if you have younger siblings mm -hmm. yep. but i i know i tried to shield my my little sister from it and i know that i couldn't to a certain extent yeah yeah it's definitely um interesting i mean I think the statistic I read a while back was like six or seven out of ten kids go through some form of sexual abuse or inappropriate behavior. And I mean, just thinking, if you're in a classroom with twenty kids, right. twelve of them, twelve of them have been through that. Twelve out of the twenty kids, like that is a ridiculously high number. But how many talk about it? Definitely not the boys, and then most likely not the girls, unless it's maybe maybe within their small group right and i mean even then sometimes the actual abuse itself is seen as a as an accomplishment it's like man i had sex for the first time and it's like hell yeah buddy like good job yeah and and then it's all of a sudden it's like whoa wait i'm 12 13 and i had sex for the first time yeah, we're convinced it's, uh, like, cool. Like, all the movies, all the books and TV shows are, like... It's, like, every main character's goal is to go out and get laid. 
And then if you're 11 watching that in a 19, 20-year-old TV show, your brain just says, I should be focused on that too. And it doesn't, mine didn't comprehend, hey, they're eight years older than me. I should wait eight years. It was like, that's what they're doing, so I should too. Right. And And that's, sometimes that's no fault of anyone but our own media that we consume as children. Yeah. And, yeah. So I wanted to switch it up a little bit, and I wanted to, as well as, uh, you just had a son. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. He turned five months about a week ago. That's awesome. So I wanted to talk about how you think it's best to protect your son from these kinds of social media stereotypes, these just like influences yeah influences and these uh yeah whatever we're just gonna go with influences that's a perfect question that i think about all the time because um my first answer would just kind of be instinctually just hover over him at all times but you know that's not realistic and (laughs) that's something that drove me crazy growing up so i don't want to do it i think one of the most important things in the world for men of all ages is having a sense of belonging to something somewhere, like whether it's sports, whether you know your family's culture takes pride in academics, whether you're like really good at video games, even though that's like lower on the priority list. Like one of my problems was I was never involved in extracurricular activities. I was too short for the basketball team, too weak for the football team, on and on and on until I was, you know, in high school. So I was just my whole life just kind of sitting there twiddling my thumbs. And then, uh, like, once drugs and partying came along, I was like, hey, something I'm finally decent at. And then I just went down a deep rabbit hole because that was the only thing I was good at for so long because I just I never got put on the club soccer team I never got taken to gymnastics um things like that so definitely just having my son involved in whatever he wants to do if he wants to be a tap dancer you know we'll be at his recitals his rehearsals three times a week if he wants to build robots well you know I'm gonna make sure he has the the lego set or the bio, you know bionicle whatever it is that he decides he wants to do Of course, I do hope it is something I enjoy, like, uh, you know, some type of wrestling or boxing or basketball stuff. But if it's not that, his his choices are, you know, going to be do boxing or sit at home all day unsupervised, because I think that is the most dangerous thing for men at a young age. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Sit at home on the internet all day. Uh, I mean, the things, again, going back to being exposed to stuff too young, having unrestricted internet access at 10, 11, 12 years yeah. old. Horrible for my brain. I got so desensitized from, you know, the porn, the violence, the gore and stuff. Uh, it was just walking around and I'd seen more stuff than most adults at 11 years old. Right. Yeah, I remember from when I was very young, I I remember this really vividly because my parents, this was in the early days of YouTube, and I know that my older sister didn't mean this with malice. She thought it was funny, 
and which is fine but she showed me this video of the commercial of the car going down the hill and then the <sighs> zombie pops out yeah <laughs> that sent me into a state of shock i was trembling i would not talk i my dad made me eat something sweet to distract me and that was my first form of ptsd and and that was traumatizing because I, I remember trying to go back and like brave that video so I can be like I watched this video and I didn't get scared this time and my parents were like no you're not allowed on the internet anymore yeah cause you're just a couple years younger than me I think so you were probably like what 8, 9 10 maybe around that when that video was I was younger than that okay even younger yeah uh like, oh, you know what? You want to go to family things, scaring the crap out of kids like they're adults. That was another thing I think the Hispanic families were not good at. Like, they'd chase us around with a pocket knife or show us that video. And you're just a little kid like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Right. And I also remember, like, seeing a decapitating video. Yeah, just totally normal. Middle yeah. Of class, middle of class. Someone's like, hey, look at this. Someone getting their head cut off. Oh, wow, interesting. At 10 or 11 years old. Like, what is this? Yeah, and I'm going to put a huge trigger warning toward at the beginning of this video, just so you know. I really want yeah, you to no, know that. No. Yeah, in going back to the original topic, I try to practice a lot of self-care with my fiancé. And he refuses it most time. So what do you do most days to take care of your own mental health? And what do you recommend others to do? Uh, so, I mean, it's probably obvious from my online presence and uh, my rants and pictures and stuff. I, I think one of the things guys turn to when they're just, just lost is the gym. And some of that is the stereotype of like, hey, you need to be strong and muscular and have abs and stuff. And I wouldn't even say it's a completely healthy pastime. You definitely get a body dysmorphia the more you dive into fitness culture because mm -hmm. you go from comparing yourself to the people around you. Now you're comparing yourself to a world-class athlete, a guy who's been lifting for 20 years you're comparing yourself to someone who literally gets paid to lift weights, eat healthy, get proper rest, wake up and do it again seven days a week. So it's like, I think the fitness industry definitely has its way of preying on young women, really women of all ages, but especially that, you know, preteen, teenage girls. But uh, it also has its teeth sunk in on the men. Um, yes. Pretty, pretty dang good. I mean, there's days where I look in the mirror and I'm like, gosh, all that hard work finally paid off. And I can I can eat two burritos from Taco Bueno and I look in the mirror again and I'm like, God, have I even worked out in the past three months? It just feel horrible. I don't want to take my shirt off in my own house kind of thing. Like uh, that, that fitness world is pretty brutal if you're not careful and realistic about it. Yeah, absolutely. It is one of the most terrible things in this world because it it's constantly, hey, here's this pretty 5 foot 10 model 
who weighs 90 pounds soaking wet and is going to like binge and purge for the rest of their life to continue their modeling career. But and she's smiling in the pictures. Exactly. She's, she's smiling and she's not she doesn't look like someone who binges and purges. Right. Exactly. And then then they teach you to binge and purge. And I don't think a lot of people talk about anorexia and bulimia in men either. Yeah, um, it can definitely, this is like a big topic. I don't even know if I've picked a side on it yet. I see a lot on the internet is, is it an eating disorder if he looks shredded as hell from it? You know, if he's got the six pack and you can see the veins in his shoulders and arms and legs, is it an eating disorder or is it discipline? And um, right. I, I don't know. I think if they're stepping on a stage in a bodybuilding tournament, and that's paying their bills. Maybe it's maybe that's just discipline for work. Uh, but if it's a nineteen-year-old college freshman doing doing that for no real reason other than he wants to look like that, that might be on the side of some type of addiction or delusion. Right, and I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in routine that we may not realize that our own routine can be our own form of self-harm. I do agree. Uh, I'd say video games are like that. Uh, that was another hobby. You know, if you ask my, my self-care, it'd be relaxing, hopping on the computer. And um, if I'm not careful with that, you know, we I where we met was because I have an addiction to really anything it just gears towards opiates and alcohol but uh i can easily sit there and play video games nine ten hours a day seven days a week and it goes from like a fun pastime to like i'm not even winning i'm not having fun i just have to keep playing until i have fun like i did last week i want that feeling of like oh my gosh what a good day of great games today i need that feeling again and i just chase it and chase it and chase it and i think that's another common thing for guys is one more game one more game one more game right and then it's it's 3 a.m and we still haven't had that one more game we're looking for it's like it's chasing a high almost it, it definitely is like when especially in like the new games where you know, it's you versus 90 people and you're trying to get one winner in it. When you are the one winner out of all those people, it's like a different feeling of I just won because, you know, it, everybody's watching, your character's dancing, and they're all watching. Everyone sees Evan won this game and it's like, that's what I want. Right. But it might take 50 tries to get that. It might take 100. It might take three or four nights of playing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, it's, I think that video games can be very beneficial to our mental health, but they can be very detrimental and it teeter-totters much, much too, much too fast. Yeah, the scales are sensitive. Uh, it, it's a very thin line between I'm ignoring my homework, I'm not studying for the exam I have in three weeks, but I'm still getting five hours of video games in four days a week. That's literally me right now. I have my uh, official personal training exam in three and a half, four weeks, and I'm still playing more video games and doing my final studying because I'm passing it with the C on the practice test. 
So like, eh, I got it. I can play more video games instead of just study a little more and just ensure I pass it. I'm taking the risk because I want the chase of having a fun video game session. Right. Yeah. And uh, I also wanted to ask you, as a man, as a grown-ass adult, um, why do you think men are so pushed away from therapy? Um, I think it's kind of a fear of the unknown thing. I, I just have to look at myself. Why was I so reluctant to go to therapy and rehab and whatever? I, I think for myself, it's because I knew I was going to end up having to tell someone what happened to me as a kid. Uh, from the sexual to physical to emotional stuff. Uh, and I, my whole life, all I knew was don't talk about it. And now I'm supposed to talk about it to a complete stranger. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially for minors, maybe. Uh, I would want, well, what are they going to tell my mom? Or is my mom, you know, just I don't know what's going to happen. Therefore, I don't even want to risk it. Right. Yeah. That, that was huge for me. Rehab what's gonna happen if I leave for 10 days you know is my girlfriend gonna cheat on me and break up with me and I'm gonna come home and my parents kick me out you know it's just when we're in a place where we need therapy I don't think we're in a healthy place to to let our minds freely roam and think like oh it'll be fun and this and that like no I need therapy right now because I'm not having those type of thoughts I'm going worst case scenario bad 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 is my assumption on everything Right, yeah, definitely. And I think when I was trying to admit myself to the mental hospital or the mental institution, whatever you will, um, I was most worried about my job. If I would have a job coming back to it, what would my employees think of me? What would my fiancé think of me? What would my family think of me? And then I also thought about what about the apartment? What about my bills? What about this? What about that? And it was all tough because... I didn't know how to prepare for something like that. Thankfully, I did have a friend who went through it, so she was able to guide me through it. And you've you've been on your journey for this for a while, right? At least, you know, since before we met, right? Yeah, I, I've been in therapy since the fifth grade. Yeah, do you feel like it's easier each time? Not that it's fun to go to another rehab or... Uh facility but do you feel it's a little easier to sign the paper whenever it does come up after the first or second time well i'll be honest when we met was the first time oh was it okay yeah i never admitted myself to a psychiatric hospital but i did admit myself to many many psychiatrists okay okay did you get more comfortable finding new ones after a few or was it that same what's gonna happen fear every time it, it did get easier over time. It was much more simpler to find one because I was just kind of like, okay, I had a list and I was like, okay, this one didn't work too bad. And I, I almost consider it like dating. Not that, I've been, not that I've been in the dating scene for a while, but I consider it almost like dating because if by the first date or the second date it's not working out and you're not getting the good vibe, then, you know, you got to go. No, that's very fair. Um, I, I ask that because for me, <laughs> I'm to the point where, you know, if I go on my benders and I'm just, I got hooked on the drugs and 
I know what's coming. I, 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 I can't quit on my own. I need to be locked up somewhere. No cell phone, no wallet. If I try to leave, they call the cops on me, at least till it's out of my body and I'm, you know, mentally reset. Uh, I mean, it's just that simple to me. I, last time I relapsed, whenever I met you, was almost three years sober and clean. And um, I got to the point where I was like, all right, it's time for rehab again. Like, just that simple. Find a rehab. <laughs> and yeah. I kept saying, I'll go next week. I'll go next week. I'll go next week. And then it got to where I just said, all right, I'm calling it to work. Going to go to rehab. We'll just get this over with. And, uh, you know, not that I'm proud of it, but it's funny to me just how comfortable I am. Like, I screwed up. I know exactly how to fix this, though. And I think that's an important step to take because sometimes recognizing that you have a problem is the hardest part. Yeah. It's, it's so easy um, for us as men to blame the world because they're hard on us. You know, they, and part of it is true that we are told, suck it up, be a man. This person had it worse. At least you're not them, you know, kind of things. It's, when people do crappy things to us, we have a million things to blame it on and a million excuses to divert before we say like hey i'm screwing up i can do better i deserve better i should do better and like i admit it i'm wrong right now that's really hard to do as a man for some reason i'm sure anybody that's dealt with enough of us can agree getting us to just say i'm wrong i give up the fight uh that's not an easy task right yeah and i it's it's like any argument you get in with your spouse your partner your significant other uh it's it's hard because nobody likes to be wrong who does oh absolutely i mean who does nobody does no i definitely i hate being wrong i used to have a really bad habit of i'd slowly change the argument into something else so i could be right but if you looked at it it's like wait that's not even what we started this topic about right yeah and it's changing the subject it it's another coping mechanism that we deal with because we don't want to we don't want to be in a situation that we're in because it's a triggering situation it's an uncomfortable situation or it's just not fun yeah and uh, any aspect of life being wrong is just i think society just has this pressure if you can't be publicly wrong because you know people will laugh and throw tomatoes at you but uh i found that only happens when you fight being wrong and just make a jerk out of yourself doing it and I, I feel like people have so much more respect for the guy who says oh i was wrong my bad yeah absolutely and i mean it that also goes with celebrities like, they oh, get yeah. caught saying the N-word, or they get caught saying something racist, or discriminatory, or ableist, or whatever you may. And all of a sudden, like, they're like, I'm sorry, that's how I was raised, that's how this and this. Meanwhile, all you can say is, I was wrong, I didn't know what I was saying, and I'm teaching myself to do better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going to the internet and video games at a young age thing people get say what they want there's not a single young man on this planet who 
played Call of Duty in middle school online and wasn't screaming slurs, uh, you know, anything they could to insult someone because that's what was happening. I remember I was 10 years old and I kept killing, my teammate killed me, I killed him. So then we weren't even playing the game. We were just having an ego battle of, oh yeah, you killed me? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you and back and forth. And finally, I wanted to just play, so I left. And this is a grown man. I was 10 years old. He messaged me and said, Aw, am I hurting your feelings, you little effing P-word, C-word? And, uh, you know, you're 10 years old. A grown man says that to you. You have to argue back, you know. You're 10. So, uh, I mean, fifth grade, I'm, I'm having full-blown threatening people, cussing them out. What is the most hurtful thing I could think of to say to this guy? Because they did it to me. I was young and impressionable, so now I gotta do it to someone else. Right. Yeah. And, unfortunately, I'm one of those people that I've said it, and I said it publicly, and it's on my old Facebook, and I will fully admit to it, but I'm not gonna blame it on any anything else other than I knew what the word meant. I meant it as a friend. And I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, uh, Growing up, no real male role models. I looked up to athletes, rappers, maybe movie stars. I wasn't really a superhero kid. Like I said, I didn't get that much time to be a kid. So my cousins wanted to listen to Eminem. I was five years old. Okay, let's listen to him talk about drugs sex drugs and rock and roll or sex drugs and rap in this case and uh so whatever he's saying i'm repeating it whatever you know 50 cent Lil wayne are saying i'm repeating it and uh, i just genuinely genuinely thought i was like hey this is what i listen to and do so that's that's what i do because i had no i didn't have a man in my life to say hey you're a kid don't say those words you know you don't need to be in call of duty if people are saying that stuff and you're arguing with them it was more like my dad saying, hey, I'm going to go out to the bar tonight. You can sit home and play Call of Duty. Don't be getting in arguments and, you know, left and never actually checked if I was getting in arguments. So I'd put the microphone up to my mouth and whisper, like, the worst things I could think of. Right. And I, I think that it's also, it goes along with the machismo thing. It's like with women you expect your partner to protect you. You expect them to have this mentality of protector and survivor to be able to keep you warm. And, and that goes back to, like, the caveman days. Because, it you know, we, at, at our... At our most primal, that's what we expect to be, is like, man protect woman, woman provides. And I think that over the years, we've definitely gotten better about it. I I have to agree. I like hearing you at least acknowledge that existed once upon a time. I wouldn't even really say I'm... I I, I can't really say what... I like to be realistic, I think. I'm a fairly logical person. Um, I was on, one of my first hobbies ever was I was a theater kid and debate team kid in middle school. So I at least understand listening to both arguments and whatnot. And I do agree there's 
some type of primal instinct lingering somewhere in me where I do think like, yeah, I have to be the leader and the guardian and the boss of my household. And, um, I mean, it's hard to put that away sometimes because I grew up hearing it. Something biologically makes me feel inclined to do it. And then, uh, you know, you see society that's supposed to be the normal thing is the man is the boss. Uh, just the stereotypes of what a, a strong man is and what his wife should be. I'm doing quotations. Should. One thing I've learned is I don't know what should or shouldn't anything in life because my best decisions have got me in rehab five times. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard to turn down that urge to say, hey, you know what? She can go get the groceries by herself. Or, hey, you know what? I don't have to go fight the guy at the cash register for making a joke to her and like I don't even know why I want to do those things she has never once made me believe she would cheat on me or given me evidence that she's being like promiscuous behind my back but like it's rooted in my head that caveman protect that's my territory if you will stay away from it and I know I know she drives her crazy sometimes and uh it's definitely a work in progress to beat that out of your head as a guy and some never do. You see some guys, if you even look at their girlfriend, they're staring at you across the restaurant. What are you looking at? It's like, dude, not you. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are being loud and knocking stuff over. I'm not checking you out. I'm wondering if you're too drunk right now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's it's always embedded in us to follow the gender roles and like, just continue to do that because we we want to sometimes and I mean sometimes it's okay to want to be served and want to be taken care of and want to be you know want to clean house but you know it doesn't always have to be the same way it can be compromise it can be both partners working on one thing at the same time it can be both partners taking away time to clean yeah, that's that's another thing that's been, um, I think, served me having, you know, a dad who, he, he was, like, kind of there, but not when it mattered and not in the ways it mattered. He would take me to, you know, restaurants every weekend, but we never had those life talks of what is a man, what should you expect from life. He, he was more of, like, a friend than a dad, so mm-hmm. I had typical single mom, um, worked so she got home she didn't want to clean she doesn't know how to cook so i i will say for my you know friends who i grew up with when we did move to a nice area out of the hood their parents were still together mom worked part-time did the cooking did the cleaning soccer van soccer mom minivan type of thing they have much harder expectations on women to serve and be the mommy than I do and I definitely see that because my mom's cookie was terrible so I was like if I want to eat good I either need to be able to afford good food or learn to cook myself so I got kind of lucky there yeah and I wanted to ask you as well what is the biggest advice you want to leave for your son and what's the biggest example you hope to become for your son so much. I mean, I think of these things every day. It would be um, 
off the top of my head. I'm sure I'll think of something ten times better tomorrow. But uh, for now, it would be figure out what you think being a man means and don't give up on it. I think it's really easy with the internet to get bullied out of your ideas and let people change your perception and values, but I think if it's proper and it's right and you're doing it with your full heart, you need to go for it 100% and every time you fall, get back up and keep going like you never got knocked down. I think that's super important. Um, kind of like what we said earlier with the, you know, having to protect and be tough thing. It, I think it's okay to be human. Maybe, maybe that's the thing I'll think of that's way better. Is One thing I love is um, when people ask Mike Tyson, like, man, weren't you ever scared going into a fight? And he'll look them dead in the eyes and go, Hell yeah, I was scared. This dude's six foot four, 240 pounds, trying to knock my head off. He's like, it doesn't matter that I'm the baddest man in the planet. I have feelings, I have fear, and I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. But people looked at him like, oh, that's Mike Tyson. He has a pet tiger. He has face tattoos. He's not scared of anything. Right. And he'll tell you right now, I am scared of a lot of things. And uh, I, think, I think people forget men are human and we are scared of a lot of things we're not all ready for conflict and oh you know what he made me mad i'm gonna go punch him in his face i'm like no let's leave the situation i don't want to get in a fight right now right yeah absolutely and i think i think mike mike tyson is such a big influence on a lot of men or should be at least because he yes he does have his moments of sheer honesty and sheer fear, but as well as, you know, he went through so much abuse as a child that he was able to bounce back from it, and I'm sure he still suffers with most of it. I think um, if there's one thing, if I could magically, you know, fix people's attitudes is whenever they see a guy lashing out or stuff, you know, like Mike Tyson got physically, emotionally, mentally, sexually abused. He was homeless at age 15. Would they see a man acting out like that? I'm not saying cater to it. Don't pamper it and spoil him and say, oh, it's okay, you poor thing. But at least ask, I wonder why he acts like that. Because there are times I see people maybe a little younger than me, maybe even a little older than me, doing the exact behaviors I went through in my darkest phases. They're always angry, hateful, you know, hurting people online, stealing, getting addicted to drugs, drinking their life away. And it's because they went through the exact same traumas I did. They just didn't find their rehab yet. They didn't find their right therapist yet, or they're just not ready for it. And um, instead of writing it off as like, Uh, It's just a piece of crap. He's never going to grow up. Maybe say, like, dang, he's going through it. Maybe I'll avoid him till he gets it together, but he still has hope. Right. Yeah. I think at that point in your life, you're just hopeless. When you don't know how to get into rehab, you're scared of therapy, you've scared off every woman that loves you, there's no hope anymore. All you know is anger, hate, drugs, and depression. I mean, what am I going to look forward to? Um, 
you know, it's it's just some people magically stumble into it, and then some people are 55 years old, hammered at Hooters, hitting on the young college girls by themselves at 2 p.m. I've, I've dealt with men like that, and they wanted to fight me in the parking lot because he was still a miserable old man, and, uh, you know, he might not ever find his place because he made it so long without it, but, you know... I just told you know, I, I'm not going to fight him in the parking lot. He's clearly sick in some form or fashion. And uh, just try to wish the best for him. Even if he just ruined my dinner trying to fight me, try to wish the best for him. I think that's the best thing to do, and I, I don't think I could have said it any better, is wish someone the best. Kill him with kindness. Mm-hmm. It's easier on you as well. Yeah. Hating someone, hating someone takes so much more energy than forgiving them. And that's something I learned this grueling hard way. As well as, like, if if you can hate someone for no reason, then I can love someone for no reason. That's very true. It's truly a choice. It truly is. Kindness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Um... You know, I think initially we hate those people that hurt us, uh, especially for boys, you know. he I'm less of a man because of what he did to me as a kid. I hate him. I'm going to hurt him one day once I'm bigger and stronger. And then you spend your whole life revolving it around someone else's actions and you don't ever get to be yourself. That was my entire teenage years. I'm going to get back at them by hurting myself. Right. And at the end of the day, you're not doing any of that. Yeah, they, they forgot I existed. I'm here in my fourth or fifth rehab trip because I was showing that girl who broke my heart who's boss by doing drugs and getting back at her. She's off in college, has a good job, hanging out with her friends and family, forgot I existed. And I'm somehow getting revenge by getting arrested because I had drugs on me or you know, things like that. Also her. Yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah, it's it's always something th- that we think is going to be beneficial. Meanwhile, we don't... We're blinded with anger and emotion and revenge that we choose not to see the other half of it and the the maybe the end result of it without trying to be able to do anything about it other than maybe improving our actions instead of taking it out on ourselves yeah uh and i think it's really hard for people to do because then we have to tell ourselves um I'm not the victim anymore. I'm not going to make myself a victim anymore. And, uh, you know, after after a while, um, the people around us, it's draining on them. I mean, I was usually the victim, the insecure one, like pushing it on my girlfriends or whoever I was talking to at the time. And I, looking back, like I was honestly just a terror to their lives. They couldn't do anything without me accusing them of something. Because I think I'm not enough, you know, I'm just this piece of crap guy who won't even get in a bar fight because he's scared, so he's not a man. So surely she doesn't want to be with me, so you're cheating on me. 
I'm not good enough, so you're cheating on me. That's what I've convinced myself, and that's how I'm going to treat you. I'm treating you like a bad partner because of something I believe with no evidence. And I mean, I did that relationship after relationship after relationship. And looking back, it's like, God, you know, they should have left me a week into it. Right. Um, every single one, like, props to them for even giving me the chance, but I just was not ready. And I think uh, we have to be fair. Don't hurt yourself too much waiting for a man to get ready. And vice versa, don't don't sit there and put your life on hold if someone's just not close to being ready. Right. And I mean, people are on different levels and like, um, example, I dated this guy for a long time, maybe about two and a half years and we fought every single day, multiple times a day. Yep. And we, and he, we would get into it over the littlest things. And he was the sweetest guy when he wanted to be, but when he was an asshole, he was an asshole. And I know I said no cussing, but I had to. Sometimes there's only one word to describe things. And there was so many things that I couldn't even begin to describe that we got into fights over that I, I just couldn't tell you. So... I, at the end of the day, is I was like, I was like, I'm supposed to be in love with you. I'm supposed to be with you. I'm not supposed to be fighting you. And yeah. that's what that's what broke my back, because I couldn't even talk. My aunt asked me about him and be like, Hey, how's your boyfriend doing? And I would just cry. And yeah. and it's a, I hate to say it, but it's a toxic situation, and it was just not good. So I left and now he is the happiest he's ever been. I still talk to him on Facebook and him and his fiance are awesome. They have a beautiful kid together and he's a stay at home dad. She works, you know, and, and I'm sure they still fight, but him and I were just not good for each other. Yeah. Um, and you know, I could only talk about my situation, but as someone who, used to do that it came back to that's how i saw my dad treat his girlfriends when they got on their phone he looked at it over their shoulder uh when they got a text message he uh quote unquote jokingly said is that your other boyfriend um i took all of his worst traits because that was my dad so that's how men should be so um he drank and drive drank and drove i learned to drive drunk you know the first few times i drove i had been drinking then uh, you know he swore every girl was cheating on him I swear every girl is cheating on me just always look up to their father figure it doesn't have to be their real dad a lot don't even have their dads or know them so who's next in line an uncle a cousin a brother but who are they looking up to right a crappy dad a rapper you know money cars the slurs for women I won't say them but I mean we could think of a million we hear in songs on a regular basis uh so we guys pick another guy a little older than them and they say that's who i want to be like and then we just take on their traits good and bad right yeah i think it's so important we 
get men back to being strong men who can handle pressure, but also lower the expectations just a little. Um, slow down the competition. It's not about who has their family in a nicer home, who has their family in a happier home, or who at least even has their family in a home type of thing. And you know, the competition in America, who you know, who has the hotter wife. And it, it was never about. Who has the happiest kids with the most potential? There's always, you know, who made more money? Which dad has the nicer Corvette or Mercedes? Mm -hmm. I think men need to be strong enough to get those things, but not use that strength on getting those things, you know? Yeah. Be there for the kids. Make them a better version of yourself. And, uh, you know, just trust that they make the right decisions. That's my plan, at least for my son. Yeah. No, 100%. Now, I've decided against kids, but I think if I ever did have a kid, I think it'd be more like maybe being the person that I needed Yeah, and exactly. being more understanding. Exactly. Who did you need most as a kid? The dad working 60 hours a week so you could afford your, uh, you know, nice car when you turn 16? Right. Or the dad who works 40 hours a week and you get a beat-up Honda, but he's at every one of your basketball games and he's at the family dinner every night sitting at the table, you know? I think men were, in one generation, told you have to make money and be the breadwinner and your family has to be the nicest on the block. And then they passed that down and it got slightly skewed and then they passed that down and it got... But it started from the wrong point. And then it just kept getting slightly more wrong. Right. Yeah. And it it sucks because that puts extra pressure on men and sometimes single parent homes as well. Because let's, let's not even talk about single dads because there's not enough support for single dads too. I agree. Um, I know like... Maybe two. Um, I couldn't even get say I definitely know two. So it's like I don't even know where I'd begin to help them because there's no data showing what they need. Their voices are so small and unheard. It's like I, as a man, don't even know what they need. Um, serious props to them. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we've been talking for about an hour. Do you have any questions for me? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of like to just reverse some of the questions. Like, from a female perspective, what are, like, what's something maybe you think men could do to better going forward that's not, you know, make more money, be stronger, blah 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 you know nonsense like what's something realistic that girls maybe talk about amongst themselves like i just wish guys did this more often or i wish guys didn't do that more often um i think communication is one of the biggest things in my household i tend to shut down in situations in which i feel threatened not that my fiance's ever made me feel threatened but it's because of my PTSD that I treat him the way that I do. And I, I would like to communicate better, but 
sometimes he has to, it's like pulling teeth out trying to get me to communicate into a way that I want to say something like for example we went out to dinner one time and this was when we were first dating we went out to Chili's because I love Chili's and brought me a water and I was drinking a Sprite and I I was just like okay that's fine like I'm not I'm not gonna do anything and he he was like did she just bring you a water instead of a Sprite and he spoke up and I think sometimes trying to lure conversation out of a woman can be very difficult <laughs> because it's it's tough because you're it, it's it's a, no it's fine I'm fine this is fine yeah. and with the, with the most I'm not okay attitude exactly but it's it's knowing that something's not okay sitting down and being like look I know something's wrong don't treat me like it's not because I know it is uh yeah yeah, that's very fair. Uh, we did couples therapy after I had relapsed a, a year and a half ago because uh, we were just right on the verge of breaking up for good, for good. And uh, she told us the most important thing in a relationship is communicating properly. Because uh, I, you know, guys grow up, they're more blunt. Hey, that was stupid. Don't do that. And believe it or not, most girls don't like being talked to that way. Uh, right. You know, the word shut up, for some reason, a guy hears that, and it's like, ah, you shut up, man. But what I, if I were to say that to, like, my mom or sister, the mother of my child, it's, whoa, that's, that word has a lot more power going the other way. Right. Uh, tone as well. Um, guys can be sarcastic and snarky to each other, but if I'm a little too mean or aggressive in my tone, that conversation's going nowhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's about removing yourself from the situation as well. If it's a more delicate situation, it's also about maybe pushing past that limit and being like, hey, I know I was wrong in how I said that, but it was the only way that I was going to get you to listen. Yeah, uh, and I've, I've been there before where it's like, you know, I try being super gentle and friendly and loving, and that doesn't work, so uh, and I'll just, just be gentle, and that doesn't work, and then I have to be kind of stern, and then I'd say, hey, you know, I tried a few times to politely beat around the bush, but now I've just got to get straight to the point, and, um, you know, people typically aren't gentle with us, so we actually have to learn how do you talk to someone nicely? Right. You know, I'm to cussing and yelling and laughing and, you know, mocking someone when they mess up. How do you talk without doing that? Right. Yeah. And I think being more, um, more thoughtful with words before you say them is what's going to get the point across instead of being instead of being like no I'm not doing that instead of being like hey I can't do that right now how about we try we try this instead and we can do that tomorrow yeah uh, there, yeah there's times where we've definitely had to do that um 
one relationship I look at is my mom and stepdad and like gosh it's just you're like how are y'all so just good together they're polar opposites uh she's the talker the she likes to dance he's the guy who if you're sitting in a room for five hours he won't be the first one to talk um social anxiety out the wazoo internet tech guy she's the customer service face of every company she works at lady and it's just like they're dynamic and it's because they talk you know one, one thing they do super cheesy but they'll have random nights where they say you can't go to bed unless you tell me five things you like about me or five things you were proud of me for this month or things like that and just just those conversations that feel cheesy and forced but like they help people out right and that's that's very sweet and i i only hope to have a relationship like that in the future um yeah and it feels forced at first you know i could tell for him at least because he's not a talker he's not a sharer he's not an open up type of guy but uh she doesn't give him the choice she says no i'm not letting you sleep i'm turning the tv on i'm turning the light you're gonna tell me three things you love about me and then now they just do it routinely and it it just flows and other people are like oh my gosh you know how do, you know they try to do it you know my aunts and uncles will try to do it and they're like i can't think of one thing i feel i feel dumb like we've been dating 20 years and i can't think of one thing i love about her right now yeah and i think that's where a lot of relationships go south really easily is because there is no communication there is no there there is no point in which somebody says okay enough we need to stop here and we need to reevaluate if you want to keep going yeah and i think um you know one thing i will say sorry uh it's so hard to get me to stop talking (laughs) but um men are easily overpowered by lust and there are times we'll hold on to relationships we know aren't working because the lust tells us it might get better and i know it happens to girls too but for guys it's called digging with your bleep um that is a real thing that guys deal with and it's like it's it's just what we know and what we're comfortable with so we just kind of deal with the chaos until it actually gets to the point where we're like you know what i hate you so much because we're forcing this for so long i actually want to never see you again and that's how most of my relationships ended was uh we did not communicate for so long we got to the point where we would rather never see each other again than just talk and that's just how they ended yeah and sometimes don't get me wrong is if somebody doesn't want to change you can't force them to change. Mm-hmm. You you just have to keep on going and continue your own story while they move on with theirs and eventually they'll get the message and sometimes it doesn't have to be you. It's yeah. one of those it's one of those things that's like it's not me, it's you or it's not you, it's me. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I told my girlfriend that about my drug addiction when we first met I was like hey I know I'm your sober prince charming right now but if I do dip back into that lifestyle I'm gonna stop on my schedule when I want to and you can kick and scream as much as you want but you're just gonna stress yourself out because once I'm in that mindset of I don't want to change 
I'm not going to until I want to. Like, you can't make someone get sober. You can't make someone settle down, etc. And, you know, the list goes on. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I guess one more question for you is... uh, Absolutely. What... I know you can't speak for all women, but what, you know, generally is a good man to to the ladies you know we, we we know what the men think a man is is a tough guy makes a lot of money has a hot wife and you know beats people up for looking at him wrong that's what the guys of society tell us a man is but when a girl says like he's a good man what do they what, what are they envisioning picturing so personally i'm still very much i i think that it's always been tough to define what a good man is because I always think of my dad. And I think of my dad in ways that he was always kind to me. He was always very open with me and he was like, you know what? He was strong. He was, he hit his emotions well. I never saw him cry until we went to the movies. (laughs) And, but I, I think I'm still figuring that out because I don't think there's ever going to be an ideal man for anyone. I also think that it's tough to continue to evolve in a relationship because we decide that we want change when maybe change isn't very welcome. And I think the ideal man in the eyes of society is a hot guy and a hot guy with a nice house, a nice car makes lots of money, and is able to spoil me. Yeah, and, um, I mean, when you really look at the statistics, that's, like, 2% of men. Right. I mean, if they have to be attractive, too, that's, like, 0.8% of men. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of older guys that are, you know, not as physically peaked as they once were who have the money and the car and they can spoil you, but, uh... You know, I think that is something that gets thrown on guys, too, is the timeline of when we should have things, you know. Uh, and I, it does seem like as we get older, women ask of less less from... They ask for us to be... You know, suddenly it gets to the point where they ask that we just be a decent person. I feel like dating right. in your 30s from the friends I have, talking to older people, it goes from, you know, a young lady thinking you got to have a good job and this and that, whereas the guy's like... I'm 23 years old. How in the world would I be making six figures right now? Right. And then as they get older, they they realize, you know, maybe they do date the guy who makes six figures and they realize he is not a fun person because his whole life revolves around being that six-figure man with the nice car who can get any girl he wants and he doesn't have to practice common decency or he doesn't need to communicate because he can just block your number and go find another girl at the bar who says I just want a guy who makes six figures so I I think that's you know one of the expectations that get thrown on us early is 
there's not a lot of people who just want us to be caring and kind and uh, strong and emotionally supportive. There's, there are maybe, you know, that's not fair to say. There's not a lot of vocal people, I will say, who are like, hey, I don't care how much you make. I just need you to be a decent person and at least pay part of the bills. Right. Yeah. And I, 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 I also think of a good man is I think of my fiance because from day one, he told me, he's like, if you want me to go to therapy with you, I will go with you. That's, that's big. Yeah, and I I sat him down on our second date, and I was like, look, I am mentally ill, severely mentally ill, and here's what's wrong with me. And he didn't run. He should have. He didn't run. <laughs> but he, you know, five years later, he still supports me in everything I do, and he loves me, and I love him more than anything in this world and I I think it's great because we both have this way of telling each other I love you without saying I love you and his way of telling me I love you is always coming home with something and from the store and being like I know you would want this so I got you this yeah I hear that a lot because that shows the guy was thinking about you. I hear that a whole lot. Um, you know, when people say gifts, it doesn't always mean a diamond ring and the tennis bracelet. Sometimes it just means like a, a teddy bear. Yeah, a teddy bear. A handmade card. Uh, I got lucky there. My girl's love language is gifts, and it's not the expensive kind. She likes a good homemade card. With a picture I printed out that she didn't even know I had of us type of thing. So I got very lucky there. Yeah. And it's great. Sometimes being in that healthy relationship is always what you need. Yeah. I do think enabling each other for success is what I needed. Yes. Absolutely. I also, like, I look at a lot of my friends. I look at you and I look at... A lot of the men that I surround myself with, sometimes I'm like, you to a point, not you specifically, but at other people, I look at them and I'm like, you are the example of the kind of leader that I want to be. You are the example of the kind of caregiver I want to be. That word you used, I'm glad you said it, because I was like, I hope we get to talk about that tonight. Being a leader, I think, is so important for men to learn how to do. Um, you know, I once had an old guy, and it made me so mad when he told me, uh, you know, I was complaining about my relationship, and he said, you know, you're a man now. Your job is to lead your family to where you want them to be. You know, that could totally be disputed and argued. I'm not saying he was right. Like I said, it made me mad when he said it. But that's because part of it made me admit I'm not being a very good leader right now. I'm just walking around saying, I'm saying, you should do this. You should do that. But what am I doing myself? Am I 
enabling her to do these things? Or am I just saying, why would you not do this? You know, you said you were going to, why haven't you? Instead of, hey, I thought you wanted to do that. What, what's, what's stopping you from doing it? You know, and then it turns out, oh, she's taking care of the baby all night. Hmm, that's a pretty good reason not to be doing something. But I wasn't. I was being, you know, a powerful leader, like I'm ready to go to war and command my troops, when to me at this point in my life, that's not what a leader means at all. Um, you know, like if I'm a manager at my store, which I did for many years as a manager in retail and pharmacy and such, is I will take on the jobs nobody else wants to do because that raises morale and things like that. I'm not going to ask someone to do something I wouldn't do. I don't think good leaders do that. I don't think good leaders are bosses. Right. I don't think I've ever said, oh, yeah, that's my boss. They're a great leader. Because if they were a great leader, I'd say, oh, yeah, that's that's the leader, you know? Yeah. And I think in the place that we met, um, we were both designated as leaders. I agree. And I think that's also another trauma response is to become the the leader of the group because nobody else will. And you needed to become that person for somebody else. And it's, it's a pain in the ass sometimes. I agree. I, I learned it doing bad things. I was like, hey, I want to get in trouble today. Who else wants to get in trouble with me? But once, once you learn those powers how to win people over how to show them hey i'm on your team you can trust me you can use them for good you know it's not always about who can i get to do drugs with me today or who can i get to pitch in with me then it becomes like hey who wants to do um proactive things with me oh you're on the fence about it that's where that leadership comes in Nah, you're doing proactive things with me today we're having a good day together right but i think leadership in the home and men learning how to lead and who to lead. Some people just just aren't willing to be led. And it's tough because sometimes the lust is strong. Sometimes you get along in all aspects. But ultimately, they don't want to go to the same place as you. And you have to say, all right, then I'm going where I need to go. And maybe I'll see you there one day. Yeah, and I mean, that that goes along with the phrase, like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Exactly. That's, that's, I love sayings like that. You know, I hated them as a kid, but as an adult now, I'm like, gosh, that makes so much sense. Once you're yeah. in this situation. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, uh, you know, I've helped a good amount of my friends get sober off hard drugs, heroin, you know, alcohol, addiction, meth, whatever it may be, and, uh. Some go back and, you know, they know, hey, once you're ready, I'm here. I have a car. I'll pick you up. We'll go to our meetings and therapy groups together. But uh, you're not going in the same direction I am. So because I love you, but I love myself more at this point, I'm just going to put a pause on the friendship. We're not going to hang out. We don't do the same things anymore. But when you're ready to get back to it, if you ever are, give me a call dude i'm right here ready ready to pick up where we left off and it's a painful goodbye but uh i mean all you could do is wish for the best yeah absolutely and i think knowing your limit as well as knowing your boundaries um is one of the most important things to do because 
in getting sober as well as your mental health, um, you have to be able to say, you know what, I can't deal with this today. I'm sorry. I know it's going to let you down, but I cannot deal with this today. I need to be able to rest my mind and then I will be able to do this. Yeah, I think um, being an adult is part of it for me is accepting pain is going to come. So like, yeah, I do have friends as much as I hate it. I am prepared for the day I get a message on Facebook that they overdosed and didn't make it because if me and my friend Gabe and one other guy have made it, that's three out of ten. There's not that many more of us who are going to make it statistically. And you don't get to pick who makes it or not. And um, being ready for that, understanding it might happen, it might not, it's not fun, but being prepared and, um, I mean, hey, just knowing that life is not going to be all fun, but when that happens, I don't, you know, I get to grieve, but I don't get to just drop everything and leave my family to carry the slack. And uh, I think that is one part of being a leader is, working when you just don't want to like not giving up even on the worst days take the time off you need but don't lie to yourself and say you need more time off when it's actually you want more time off because I've been there too where I was like I just got sober I can't go back to work for like six months when really what I needed to do was get my ass a job get out the house help other people and get out of my head because when I'm sitting in my head that's when I think, hey, I kind of want to get drunk right now. Like, I'm bored. I'm mad. I'm, you know, this, that. No, I needed to get out to go do something. So I had to just be honest with myself. Yeah. No, 100%. And I, I think as leaders as well, it's harder to acknowledge when you need help because you don't want to let others down, but you don't want to look weak. where we met because I was working at a hospital as a pharmacy tech funny enough never sold drugs or anything from there but I made drugs for a living as an active drug addict um I wasn't when I got hired at least but um I worked overnights with one other person who's a pharmacist for seven nights straight so for seven nights straight the pharmacy for the whole hospital was held down by me and one older lady I guess my boss. She was a pharmacist. I was a tech. So if I called in, the other person who worked the opposite seven nights, either she had to come work more when she just worked seven in a row, or somebody who doesn't work nights and has a kid they take to school and has a husband they want to see, now they have to come work my night shift. So I, I didn't want to go because I felt like, one, how do I tell them I work in the pharmacy and I'm addicted to heroin? And two, now they're going to have to clean up after my mess. And uh, wow. that took a lot of, a lot of, uh, what's the word, humbling to tell them, hey, I was a drug addict when you met me. I just was sober and I slipped up and I, you got to get your help cleaning up after this mess. And I'll cooperate as much as I can, but... I will not be able to get sober unless you give me at least a week off. And then, you know, that turned into a whole thing and I no longer work there. But uh, nobody was mad at me because I was honest. And, and it goes back to what we said way at the beginning. I, I just told them, I was like, guys, I'm addicted to drugs. 
you can check my record. I've never stolen. I've never taken the extra drugs or anything. They check my record. It's clean. Uh, but, yeah, I need help. So y'all got to cover for me. And they said, hey, you've done a lot for us. We'd be more than happy to help you. Yeah. And that's a good thing. That's a very much a good thing because asking for help is the hardest thing anyone can do. It's terrible. It's torture. It is because, I mean, it goes back to being saying you're wrong. Nobody wants yeah. to admit that they want help. Yeah, I, I, that's really what it was. It wasn't that... Because I tell the whole world, you know, I'm a drug addict, I go to support groups, I've given speeches about it in front of 50, 60 people, I go talk to teenagers about it, but when it was the people who I work with, that it directly affects, and I gotta tell them, you know, hey y'all, I did a no-no, and nobody was mad at me, and... I wouldn't be mad at someone if they told me, but for some reason in our head, that anxiety kicks in, and it's like, would I be mad at someone? No. But would someone be mad at me? Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. Funny stuff. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Do you have any other questions for me? Um. You can ask I mean, me as many questions as you want. Okay. I don't want to keep you too long. I don't know how long you normally go. Look, my podcasts Uh, are usually about like 10 minutes long, so we're way past that. So don't worry. (laughs) Okay, cool. It's uh, plenty of content for people's car rides and uh, while they're cooking or whatever they do. Gym time. Um, I mean, really, they're just kind of from the the ladies' perspective because I don't know that many that I could ask and uh, I can't say the ones I do know I want to hear their opinions necessarily but uh, I mean what what do you see guys doing each other to each other that you think hey why do y'all do that to each other like like I, that like no wonder they're crazy or you know no wonder that guy's messed up in the head look what XYZ is going on like what's something maybe we don't even realize is weird and wrong in our culture that's a that's a really good question because it's a lot of belittling that happens i notice at work and it happens between my my the other assistant manager and the employee and it's like he belittles him but he takes it as a joke i don't take it as a joke like sometimes i want to stick up for him and be like hey that wasn't cool but that's just how they get along. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I actually, uh, the rehab I went to that got me my longest clean time was, uh, they took us there, they separated the men and women, and um, they we didn't have TVs, we didn't have phones. You got one 10-minute phone call every Sunday, and they could take it from you if you were jerked uh, at one point during the week. Um through no newspapers you got one book and it was a book from a 12-step program i won't say which one because it's in the traditions to stay away from press and film just because we don't want it to sound like we're saying hey come check us out you know promote us sponsor us kind of thing it's just people will find it just know i do 12 steps to stay sober and uh there's hundreds if not thousands of 12-step groups and programs all over 
whatever city you live in. But um, we used to do this thing called the Fire Circle. It was called the Accountability Group, but um, we called it the Fire Circle because we'd all sit down. All the guys would sit in a circle, and they'd say, all right, uh, James, everybody's going to say one thing that they think James needs to improve on or could do better or different. And they would not move on till somebody said something. So you literally had to tell someone what you want them to do better, like where they were lacking in your opinion. And uh, wow. when it got to me, yeah, oh yeah, it was, it was very awkward. Because again, men are used to doing it in a joking, condescending way, like you just said. Like, oh man, you're so lazy, you suck at cleaning. Ha ha ha. When, when what we say is like, hey, uh, like, could you clean quicker? Or like, you know, if you want to go home early, you got to take out the trash or something. But uh, when it got to me, I don't know. I, I something actually made me mad for my, I literally still think about this. Everybody was saying I told too many war stories of when I'd get drunk and high. And um, I genuinely don't think I did. Um, I did feel like people didn't listen to me when I tried to talk about sobriety. And the only way to talk to someone was to say like, hey, you ever get drunk and do this? And um, I definitely didn't tell the craziest stories, but I had like, six or seven guys say yeah man you do too many war stories and i was like what but um one guy when it got to him the only person i still talked to from there what he said he said i'd like to see you stand up for yourself more because you know you let people joke and talk crap to you a lot but i want to see you stop letting them do that sometimes i think you should you should put your chest out and say no like don't talk to me like that and don't joke with me like that and that was the most life-changing thing I've ever, you know, top five been told. Because, um, I, I mean, my whole life is like, you just let guys joke like that unless you want to fist fight them. And we already talked about that. Most of us are scared to get in fist fights unless it's to impress a girl. And even then, that what if I get beat up feeling is still there. Right. So I started practicing. Like, you know, one guy made a joke about, I don't know, something in the field of me being like his girl and sexual act. I don't know. Some, you know, you know, a guy joke, Oh, you know, I'm going to bang you kind of thing. And you're going to like it and stuff. Just one weird inappropriate childish from like 30 plus year old men. But, uh, I just told him, I was like, shut up. You won't do a damn thing. And he just got quiet. And I could tell, I was like, well, like when I actually tell people like call their bluff, they, you know, maybe in his head, he was like, oh, what's the stick up his butt? Who's he so mad for? But in my head, it was like, hey, like, no, you don't. I, I'm not letting people talk to me like that anymore. Um, and I think that, yeah, we should respect each other a lot more than we do. Yeah, definitely agree. I, and I, I see it like... I see it in me with my brother because I always grew up wanting to be one of the guys and stuff like that. And like he got some a country lyric some lyrics from a country song uh Cowboys and Angels I think is what it is. Uh he got it tattooed on his arm and I was like ha, gay. <laughs> and and it was the joke at the time. 
And everybody was like, Louisa, like, don't do that. And I'm, and I was like, what? And I didn't realize what I did, but it was hard. It was hurtful. And I don't like that I said it. Yeah. I, I will be honest. But I said it. And I didn't realize what it, what, how it would impact somebody else's day versus how it was impacting my own because it wasn't at all. That is, I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny because I know exactly where you are. Um, like, we could just be so just careless with our words. And um, I think that's what gets us in trouble a lot is, uh, you know, especially with girls, like we were saying, just not stopping to think how would that person perceive what I'm saying? Cause I, I mean, it is a joke. That doesn't mean they have to take it as a joke. Right. Um, like you hear guys a lot, you know, if they have a friend that's chubby or something, his nickname is fat boy. Right. And when, we're, when we're young, it's like, Oh, that's funny. He doesn't care. He calls himself fat boy. But I look at any time I was insecure about something, I'd be you to the punch. I call myself the scrawny twig loser before you could, so it gave no power when you said it, because I already said it. So I have to think at least one of those kids calling himself the fat boy and, you know, Gibby from iCarly lifts up his shirt and says, look how fat I am, look how fat I am, beating you to the punch. I have to assume at least some of them were doing it out of an insecure place, saying, instead of making fun of me, just laugh with me about it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think as well as, like, I used to have a tendency for self-harm in ways that I was insecure. And I constantly wore baggy shirts and really large sweaters and baggy pants and in ways so I wouldn't show off my body because I was too afraid of any comments that anybody would make that I was scared of the bullying and I was scared of all of that. Yeah, um, I mean, I was right there too. Uh, I was definitely a self-harm kid. Had some pretty ugly scars. That's what got me into my first UBH mental facility ever was I got blackout drunk, cut myself super bad, and then, um, I mean, I had to beat everyone to the punch. And, you know, before you could point out my scars, I'm going to show you my scars. Or, like, I'm going to wear really baggy clothes and a hoodie because I never want anybody to see them. Right. Yeah. So, what, are there any other things you see guys doing where you're like, why, are you, why do y'all do that to each other? Um, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anything. But I'm sure I'll think of it as I'm going to sleep. I'll be like, damn, I should have said that. Yeah, that's how I feel about a lot of the things we've talked about. I will say, I guess, one thing I could think of is uh, overly competing for girls, probably. It's disgusting to me how guys act when a pretty girl walks in the room. And, you know, we can make memes and jokes about it, but there's a lot of truth behind them you know one guy turns into a comedian when the girl comes around the other one suddenly wants to put people in headlocks and there's the guy who's like oh did you know he doesn't have a job like just right 
the one-upper. Totally, yeah, just totally stabbing each other in the back over even even the slightest possibility of attention from a girl is like, I think as men, we got to do way better about that. And, and, and nine out of ten times, they're not interested because I imagine if I'm a girl and all the guys around me are clowning each other and belittling each other, I'm going to be like, these guys are like, trying way too hard and i'm gonna be like no thank you yeah no absolutely like you all just gave me dirt on every single one of you i don't want any of you now yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh that's funny stuff i'm trying to think any more quick questions Uh, i mean that covers a lot a whole lot um have any questions from the guy perspective i've asked you all my questions yeah i feel like we covered a whole lot um i mean really if i had to sum up how i feel about men's mental health it'd just be um allow it to happen but don't take advantage of it and i I do believe in some tough love i think I think I am able to bear more burden than my female counterpart. So I'm willing to, you know, take the second job if one of us has to and whatnot. Uh, I will make that sacrifice, but that doesn't mean that um, it goes ignored or overlooked. That doesn't mean I don't, you know, I don't want to be told, well, you're a man, you have to, because I don't have to, but... I think if I want to be a strong leader in the home, like I said, I have to do the things that nobody wants to do. I had a friend once, I was telling him about tough love, because I used to be real hard on people, and I still am, and I try not to be, but it's because I feel like coming from where I did, overcoming the obstacles I have, I don't see myself as a special prophet, super high IQ, amazing, powerful man. I think I just looked for help. And once I found it, once I found people who could offer me suggestions, I took their suggestions. But there's one thing to vent and say, I need help, what should I do? And then ignore everything they suggest to you. But all I did was find people who had been in my shoes and say, how did you get out of this position? And then I did the things they did and got out of the position. And um, I guess that comes to communication and willingness. But, yeah, I don't feel like I'm not special to get out of the holes I've dug myself. So I try not to baby other people too much at all. But I had this one time, one of my best friends, I told him, I was like, it's just tough love, man. And he said, you're forgetting the love part. And it was one of those things where, like, time froze, and I was like, geez, that was deep. Because yeah. I was just being tough. I really was. I was leaving out the love part. Yeah. So I try to, try to properly practice tough love. Yeah. And I think that's where, I think, an- another thing that men do that it's one of those, why do you do that, is because... It's difficult to be able to express tough love without being able, without it being hurtful. 
because we express it in a way that it's like, hey, you did that wrong versus, hey, you did that wrong. Do you mind if we do that a different way? Yeah, let's try it again. I'll walk you through it or I'll role play with you or um, I'll help you or you can watch me do it first. Uh, They just had a guy, he's like a very experienced personal trainer and group fitness instructor. They threw him on my shifts. Or we now work shifts together. It's not like I own Thursdays, but uh, I liked how he talked to me. He has like an outgoing energy. I can tell the middle-aged ladies are obsessed with this guy. He's just like tall, military guy. He's muscular. Uh, you know, he's got the smile and he's not afraid to talk out loud in a room full of people. It's like all of their dreams and uh, he's, you know, he's funny, he makes a dad joke to all of it and um, you know what he said to me, he was like, how long have you been training? I was like, I've only been here three months and it's my first job. He was like, that's cool, man, so you're still teachable, you're still, you know, learning, you know, he's like, alright, so if you want, uh, I'll do the first class, you can watch what I do, still anything you like and throw away anything you don't like. And if you have questions, let me know. And uh, I think that was really cool of him to say, hey, I'm going to do it first. And then you tell me what you liked. And you're welcome to copy me. And then um, the next week after he watched my class, he was like, hey, I don't want you to take it as criticism. Just something I think you could do to make it flow better, to make it feel better. And then he pointed out something I was definitely struggling with. Like between intervals of workouts, we have a little timer. And I don't really, I'm not experienced with the timer because I've never used a timer and said, okay, I have 15 seconds to talk to people. Then I got to, you know, that's not something I'm used to doing in my life. Uh, Running a timer in a workout fitness setting as I'm the group instructor. It's my first job doing it. And he told me what he does to manage the timer better so it doesn't look like I'm staring at it, talking, staring at it, talking. And then after that, now I'm like way comfortable with the timer. It doesn't look awkward. I'm not setting it down, picking it up, setting it down. And I'm like, damn, that was really, really good uh, practice by him is just one saying I'm not being a jerk, but I think this will help you. How he said it was it was good. Right. And I think that goes back to communicating is the way we say things is the most important thing versus just saying it. Because sometimes just saying it is the way we get it across. But other times we need to be able to say, hey, blah, blah, blah. This is how you're supposed to say it. Yeah. um, I'm... It was an old sponsor I had in a 12-step program. He was a paratrooper in the Army, so just about as cool and tough as you get. He jumped out of airplanes to revive people in combat settings, um, stitch them up, you know, get them away from danger. And uh, he told me, what would they used to say? He'd say, one, we are never below and never above each other. It doesn't matter how rich or poor, how much of a junkie or clean person you are. We are both equal men. And two, he would say, when teaching somebody something, uh, you show one. Ah, oh, I really don't want to say this wrong. Show one, do one. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Show one, do one, teach one. So somebody shows you how to do it, then you do it on your own, and then you teach someone else how to do it. 
that's the full learning process. Because if you don't know how to do something yourself, you can't teach someone else how to do it. Right. But if you're teaching other people how to do something, then you, you've mastered it enough yourself. And um, that's how he was a leader. He would show you how to do something. He'd watch you do it. And then he'd tell you, now go show that guy how to do it. And then it just spread like a, like a virus. Now all these people are showing each other how to do stuff, helping each other, and then they show someone else. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that's the best, that's a really good phrase to do because it's important to be able to teach someone who is teachable and as well as constructive criticism. Yeah. Uh, put the egos out. That's one thing I'd say to all men. If they are in a tough situation, like with drugs or insecurity or they're scared to go to therapy, rehab, whatever it may be, I think the things that got me here today is put the ego down. Um, nobody's going to think worse of you and unless you keep going on the road you're going. It's a lot easier to stop and start over than to keep fighting and dig the hole deeper. But a big one is stay teachable. Acknowledge, mm-hmm. hey, these old, annoying old guys with all their dumb sayings and back when I was your age, I was doing just... They're, they're where they're at for a reason. They've survived this long for a reason. And if you're in the right setting, they would be more than happy to tell you what mistakes they made and suggest not to do stay teachable because we are not the smartest people on the planet. Uh, Everybody can't be the smartest person on the planet. And if someone has experienced something I haven't, they have more wisdom and experience than me. I'd kind of be a fool not to take that from them. Right. Yeah. Why would you not take the free help? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to call it a wrap on there. Before we end the, the episode, I do usually like to, since we talked about some heavy topics, I want to do an exercise before you go. Is there a certain exercise that you like to do? Um, no, I, uh, you lead the way. Okay. So, I want to do 444 breathing. You hold it for four You breathe in for four, hold it for four, breathe out for four. All right. So I'll count and you can breathe. All together. Let's go. One, two, three. Breathe in. One, two, three, four. Breathe out. One, two, three, four. I forgot to hold it. You got the gist. <laughs> but yeah. No, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Of course. And I would love to have you on again. Yeah, absolutely. I'll throw my plug in if you don't mind. It's Evan Morgan. I'm sure a lot of the people that listen already know who I am. Uh, I stream on Twitch. Chavo Guap, C-A-G-V-O-G-U-A-P. It's my TikTok, Instagram. I get on like every once in a while, but I mean, that's about it. Sounds great. Well, I hope you have a great night. You too. Definitely. Just let me know if you ever want to do it again, and I am here. All right. Thanks.
Alright, cool. Enjoy your evening. You too. Bye. Bye.